is so true. No doubt your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents, even friends that are standing by you tonight, they love you. But nobody would ever love us like him, for sure. But it's such an honor for us to be able to be together. I'm just so proud of y'all. I love you so much. And thank you for coming out to be able to participate in this tonight. It's a great privilege for us to be able to live for the Lord Jesus. We'll um, <clears throat> ask the first question, or I'll read it to you, the question that was asked. Actually, a, uh, a brother in the youth had sent me this, and uh, I thought it was something that uh, would be good to share with, with uh, everybody else. He didn't really ask it just to be asking the questions, but I asked him if it was okay if I uh, read it and shared it with you all. He said that it was. Is it wrong to hold hands in a relationship before you are engaged? Let's just bow our heads together and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we love you so much tonight. We sense your great presence. Lord, we're so thankful for that. Dear God, we realize that for us to be able to come into your presence, it's the greatest thing as mortals that we can ever have, to be invited into the courts of the great King. And then, Lord, that you would want to live in our hearts. We thank you so much. Father, we ask you tonight that you would help us. Help me, Father, that I can be able to get out of the way. Lord, that you could be able to speak through me something that would help these young people. You see the battles they go through, the things they face in life. Help me tonight, Lord Jesus, I pray. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Good to see you tonight. First thing I want to do before uh, we go into the question is, I want everybody to look at this clock. It says 8 o'clock, right? Don't sit back and look at that and say, oh Lord, when is he ever going to <laughs> Is it wrong to hold hands in relationship before you are engaged? This is a um, certainly a, a question that is among all of our youth you know, around the message. I've been in different parts of the world and been asked this question by, uh, by different groups. And uh, because... There is no definite scripture or quote that mentions holding hands. Um, naturally, you're going to have all different types of opinions and ideas. Uh, for those brothers that, um, ministers I'm referring to, that preach against holding hands, uh, totally against holding hands, um, they generally go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'd like to share that with you tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, many brothers, uh, ministers, that will uh, say that it's wrong for people, for a boy and a girl to hold hands before they're engaged. This is where they will always go, uh, for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, I could go with that if the word touch meant the way many people apply it. But whenever you click on the word touch, 
in the Greek lexicon, or your diaglot, either one, the word touch is to fasten oneself to, to cling to in carnal intercourse. So this word is not reaching over and touching somebody, um, but it is actually having a relationship with that person. In verse 2, Paul goes on to say, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. So we know we're not just talking about holding somebody's hand, because that would commit adultery or cause fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. But, so does that mean then, because that word touch does not mean um, that, it's, that it's actually touching someone's hand, is, is it okay for young men and young women that are courting or dating, whichever word you're allowed to say in your home. <laughs> Some of the message people don't like the word dating. Um, so whichever word your mom and dad tells you, you can say. Does that mean that it's okay for them to touch hands and touch one another and no restrictions at all? No, no, it doesn't mean that. Uh, let me just bring it to you from this perspective. Once I got this question, I started looking at it. And I wanted to look at it from uh, not only a scriptural basis and a message basis, but also just from one of physiology of our body and the way that we're made up. And I found it very interesting, some of the things that I found, and I'll, I'll read them for you tonight. Physical touch increases levels of dopamine and serotonin, two neurotransmitters that help regulate your mood and relieve stress and anxiety. Dopamine is also a known to regulate the pleasure center in the brain that can offset feelings of anxiety. So, even though there's no scripture or any quote that I could find, I've been looking at this for years and years, there's really nothing that I've found directly where it says that. But when we look at our anatomy, and physiology of the way that God made us, then sometimes the answer to something lays in the situation itself. That's why God doesn't have to always say this or that. But you just look at the situation and the answer lays right there. So looking at the way that we are made, uh, and, and looking at this, there's actually a great science to it that uh, they encourage people that have loved ones that are in the hospital, even intensive care units and things like that, that they can touch them and rub them and talk to them. And it's proven scientifically that it will lower their blood pressure. It's amazing the things that can actually happen just by a loved one touching someone else. Holding hands invokes a positive feeling about one another. Now, I want you to listen. Now, this is not a scripture or it's not a quote, but it's from medical websites and physiology as well. So you both feel sexy and wanted. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, so now we get into the danger of holding hands. You know, sometimes we expect our young people just to don't do things because we say, don't do it. But sometimes they need to know why they don't do it. You know, God don't always do that for us, but sometimes He does. He helps us too, don't He? So you can see now, this is not approaching it now. This is not a religious side. This is not a message side. But it's just different sides that I went to that were about the medical part and the research and the physical therapy and so on and so on. So it's them telling us this. 
It's almost like a foreplay. Research shows that touch, like holding hands, releases oxytocin, a neurotransmitter that gives you that feel-good buzz. Wow. A feel-good buzz. My goodness. So then it makes you wonder now. So a boy and a girl, they like each other, they get more serious about each other, and then they want to hold hands. The reason being what exactly? Why would you want to hold a girl's hand? You want to tell me? <laughs> you? <laughs> Why would you guys want to? It's conveying something. Is what it is. It's conveying something to her. Well, whenever you look at it, in reality, there's actually something that goes on in our brain. Now, it's in our subconscious. When we realize it, most of you probably never even heard of these words before. You didn't realize it was, but there's just something about it that you wanted to do. Well, sure, because there's something there. There's an attraction there. And there's something normal. Thank God you all are normal. That you boys want to hold a girl's hand. And not a boy's. Thank God your girls want to hold a boy's hand and not a girl's hand. Okay? But there is something about it. Then once a young man and a young woman would hold hands, then they experience something. They may not even understand what it is. But it releases something in their brain. Now listen to this. This goes on to say, we are all aware of the sensual power of touch. And that role that it plays in sexuality. Being touched can lead to positive things. The very act of being touched by someone can bring attention, both positive and negative. Being bumped by a stranger, for example, can trigger negative response. You ever been touched by somebody, you're bumped by somebody, you look around, well, don't do that to me, I don't like that. To see, you responded. Now, because it was a stranger, or maybe somebody you didn't like, and then it automatically, there's something about that. So, does touch affect us? It does. Now, watch this. However, there are many other ways that touch can be used to affect people, both positive and negative. Touch can be used as a sign of sexual interest. A light brushing of the back of the hand can be used as a cue of attraction and suggest that more touching is desired. So you see, in reality, we don't need a scripture. Now, I'm not sure that even some of our young people even know this, but it's been, it's been something that was kind of projected a few years ago. But for the preachers that taught... Um, use the scripture in 1 Corinthians 7 that it was wrong for young people to hold hands some of our message young people started getting a stick you know, ever heard of this? <laughs> so they would get a stick and this young man right here say he had a girlfriend and he would hold one end of the stick and the girlfriend would hold the other end of the stick I'm not sure if dopamine can travel through a stick there's still something about it that we want to touch. What is it? It's a natural, it's a natural thing. I want you to notice this, and it's uh, 
this situation happened to me actually just this week. Yet even unintentional touching may trigger attraction. In one famous study, waitresses lightly touched customers while bringing them the check. And the patrons who were touched left larger tips than the ones who wasn't. Now, we were gone this last week by my family. We sat down at a place to eat. The waitress come out and said, y'all want one check? I said, sure, make, make one check and give it to me. After I said that, this woman touched me on the shoulder, just lightly, nothing out of the way, nothing like that. Well, she brought her drinks out and all that, so Harry, my brother, sat right by me, said, told her, said, I'm paying for the check. She said, look, you guys want to argue about this. This is up to you. I don't want to be a part of it. But I noticed that after he told her she wanted the check, she started touching him mm. on the shoulder. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if this woman read this or not. <laughs> Maybe she was just that type of person, but she had not touched Harry until Harry said he wanted the check. Now, is touch powerful? Do you think an experienced waitress or one that would know this part, and, hey, it wouldn't be nothing out of the way. They just touch you on the hand touch you on the shoulder, and they think you get more. I'm not sure if Harry get more on the tip or not. This is a But the, the thought of it is, is that we all so relate to touch. And we know that some people are more touchy than others. And it doesn't mean that they're trying to be out of the way or anything like that. I mean, I've seen preachers, you know, they touch and they hug and all that sort of thing. I don't want nobody hugging my wife but me. I'm okay with my granddaughter's out there. But I don't want no preacher, and yet some preachers tend to be very, very touchy, especially with the opposite sex. So we know there is a line that we have to draw just with humans in general. And yet some people, you know, they see as if there's nothing wrong with it at all. But just looking at it from this perspective right here, could a young man and a young woman be able to date or court, uh, whatever they're doing, and be able to uh, touch hands and hold hands, and that be permissible? I think it would depend on them. Would they be able to keep the restriction of that touch to that only? Or would holding hands lead to other things? Now, we're most of us here tonight are adults, and I don't have to make it too plain. And you all were adult enough to understand what I'm saying. One thing can lead to another, right. lead to another, lead to another. Sure. So are we, as the people of God, are we exempt from these things? No, we're not, because we're human beings. Once we get the Holy Ghost, the Lord does not take away these things from us as a human being. And we know that it's something that each of us certainly have to watch and be careful with. So, if there's a young man and young woman here tonight that would be courting, and they would say, well, you know what, we believe we're okay. We believe we're okay. And I'll hold her hand, and her dad's okay with it, and that's okay. Well, if they would keep it to that spot, but they also need to recognize that there is something about touch that is sending a sign of a, it's a sexual transmission. And it actually releases something in their brain, and they feel good about it. Can they be satisfied just by touching that young lady on the hand? Or would they want to move up on the arm a little higher? Or would they want to move their hand somewhere else? 
Well, y'all getting quieter and quieter. <laughs> Everybody understand what I'm saying? Sorry, sir. Uh, you see, e each one of us, our nature is so different. For some, if a girl touched a boy on the hand, a boy touched a girl, it would be it would be awful. It would be so offensive to that young lady. Why? Her upbringing, maybe her own personal makeup. It would just be that young man would be trespassing uh, a boundary that she did not want him to do, or maybe vice versa. And yet others would say, well, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I, I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. But yet we also need to keep in mind that something is happening within us. Now, I don't, I don't know if y'all remember that, but several years ago, whenever I was dealing with the Titanic, and how the Titanic was actually sunk because of something that was submerged in the Atlantic that the people did not see up on top. And that was, of course, a gigantic iceberg. Comes down the side of it, rips the gash in the side, water goes into the outer hull, begins to penetrate, begins to, you know the story. So I took that and I typed it to our first conscience and our subconscious and how that there are things inside of us that happen to us that mold us and shape us. And those things in our mind are called dendrites. So it's like inside of each of our brain is all types of little branches. They're, they're brought about by memory. So it's things that happen to us whether good or bad or mediocre. And they grow like branches inside of our brain. Then there are certain things that we see, even we smell, or we taste, that will run in on those dendrites, is what they're called, and it will actually release something inside of our body. A preacher friend of mine several years ago, I was preaching about scarred human beings out in Arkansas. And I noticed this brother, I've known him well, known him for many, many years, and I noticed him, he just acted so nervous whenever I was preaching. And he said about middle way back of the service, and he, he just did not act like himself. And I was preaching about the woman at the well and how that she went through different things and, and her past and what made her what she was. I preached about Brother Branham and, and about us, and things that we go through. This brother called me as I was, I left after service driving down the road. I was very, very tired, so uh, Carol was driving a little ways. And this brother called me and said, I'm sure you noticed me tonight in the service. I said, I did. I didn't notice you. And he said, well, Brother Donnie, he said, there were several things that was going on. And he said, I noticed that the brother, whenever you started preaching, the brother draw, brought a red Gatorade and sat upon the pulpit. I said, yeah, yeah, he did. And he said, well, he said, then you started preaching about scars. And he said, several years ago, I was building, and I had a, a, a license to build houses, and out there, they would let them dig a hole, and they would pour uh, the two-by-fours, and roofing, and this and that in the hole, and they would catch it on fire, and they'd burn it. They was, that was the law. They could do that. So one early, early one morning, this brother was doing that. They dug out the hole with the bobcat. They were throwing in the trash, the debris, the rubble. Well, the, the bank caved in and fell. This brother was standing right on the top of it, and he fell right down inside that fire. So here he was inside the fire, and it was a steep wall in there, and he couldn't get out. His employees heard him screaming and hollering. So here they come. They come running. They jump down in there trying to get him out. Of course, he was burned very, very bad. And the, they had got Gatorade that morning because it was going to be a hot day, and it was red. So when that Gatorade was set up on that service, on that pulpit during that service, his mind goes right back. So I start preaching on scarred human beings, 
And here it comes back. The memories. He's having flashbacks of sitting there in that service and that red Gatorade. So here he is struggling. And he actually broke out into sweat. And I saw him as he was wiping his sweat. Well, I was too, but I was preaching. <laughs> so it didn't make any sense why he was sweating. But after he told me his story, then I realized what it was. And having studied this and looking at it in the natural realm, that in our body, now when he saw this red Gatorade, it triggered something in the dendrites in his brain. And it released part of these chemi chemicals in the brain. And his body started reacting. Well, then as I was preaching about scars, well, he pulled up his shirt sleeve and there was a big scar still on his arm. I've known this man for years and years. And yet he never told me this story. It wasn't something that he wanted to share. Because even in talking about it, it still brought all of this back on him. It was a sad, sad situation. And yet it had happened many, many years prior to that. And his body, his brain, even the chemistry of his body was reacting because of those dendrites. Now, in the part of touching, in the part of even saying anything, now let, me, let me just go on a little bit more and say that you all have to deal with something that I certainly did not have to deal with whenever I was a young person. And that was text messaging and all that sort of thing and sending things that might not be quite, you know, just quite what it should be. And one thing can lead to another, to another. And the next thing you know, you find yourself in a situation you feel bad about it and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to come out of it. But let me just remind you that even in every aspect of our life, whether it's your courting, your dating, if you wish to call it that, the Lord wants us to be His people and to be able to behave in a way that is pleasing to Him. And you never want to do anything in the wrong way that would make a dendrite in your brain and that you would see a certain sister or a certain brother in the church or at a youth camp and because of something you shouldn't have done or something you shouldn't have said, then when you see that individual, your body releases the chemical out of your brain and you feel this horrible, horrible feeling. Oh my. So, should every person who is dating not touch hands? Should they not hold hands? Should they hold a stick? <laughs> well, that might be a good idea for your dog. Fetch, boy. Go get it. But I think it comes down to the individuals. And you, nobody knows you quite like you know you. So as you, as a human being, you realize that sexuality is part of, of being a human. Is that all wrong? It is not all wrong. The Scripture tells us marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. Now when Brother Ram was here, he actually separated the women from the men. And he taught the women about these things and taught the men about these things. I've been pastoring for over 40 years and I've never done that because I don't think I could. <laughs> I don't think I could be able to do it in such a way, in a way that you can be honest before the Lord. And honest before your boyfriend or girlfriend. So should you touch hands? Should you not touch hands? The first thing you should do, brother, before you would ever do a thing like that, is talk to the sister's father. Now I know that some of the men around the message, some of the young men, feel like that 
counseling with the father of, of the, the young lady that you're interested in, asking the father's permission. They see no need whatsoever in even doing that. They just think, well, I like her, she likes me. It's, it's of no point of interest to him at all. Oh, but that is so wrong. That is so wrong. Do you understand what you're building your relationship on? You're building your relationship on rebellion from under the headship of the Word. Because what it should be, when a woman walks down the aisle and the father stands up there and the minister says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the man will say either one of two things most of the time. I do, as her father I do, or he will say, her mother and I. So it should be a transfer of headship that the young lady is transferred from the father right over to the husband. But if the husband, the boyfriend, the fiancé, as we call him, if he's talked her into doing things before the marriage that are not right, then what is he doing? He's building this marriage on a relationship and a foundation of rebellion. And believe it or not, I've had many, many young men to come and talk to me after they were married six months or a year, or maybe two. And Brother Donnie, oh, we're having problems. Me and my wife, we just cannot get along. She's as rebellious and she's stubborn and she won't do this and do that. And I say, okay. Aren't you the young man I talked to before you all got married and you were doing this and this and this? And her father didn't want you to do it. So you know what you're doing? Reaping what you sow. So you see, if you can talk her out of obeying Father's Word, you're training her that the Word really doesn't matter on those certain issues. So what are you doing? You're building a relationship on rebellion. So you honestly think whenever you and her exchange vows, and I pronounce you man and wife, that she's going to walk out of there and say, whatever you say, honey, I'll do it. No, she's not. Why? Because you have instilled in her that element of rebellion. Well, I know you don't want me to, but that's okay. Oh my goodness. I guess y'all won't want me to come back after tonight. But you see, if, if you young men even though you may differ with the father. Well, the father has to have her home by 10 o'clock. Oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. But if you sneak behind his back and say, hey, let's sneak and do this. Let's do this. Let's do that. You understand what you're doing? You're building your relationship on a foundation of rebellion. Right. You see, preachers don't understand that. Preachers many times will do the same thing. They will build their ministry on a foundation of rebellion. And then they wonder why their ministry never goes very far. It's built on rebellion. How can God bless rebellion since that was part of the original sin of Satan in the beginning? So us young men, we don't want to do that, do we? We don't want to be like the devil. So when God gives us a law, now Carol's daddy was not a Christian. And he, he lived a, a, a sinner life. And I don't mind telling you, I scared to death of that man. I was. I was scared of it. So whenever me and Carol talked about it, we wanted to get married, and I was at the ripe old age of 16, and I figured I better get married before I become an old man. <laughs> so he was sitting out on the front porch, and Carol said, Ask him. 
Well, I wanted to, but I didn't want to. So I walked out on the front porch, and I stand out there for a few minutes, and he's sitting on the front porch, and I said, Vernon, that was his name, Vernon Smith, Vernon, I want to talk to you about something. <laughs> he just looked at me, I said, I love Carol with all of my heart. And I want your permission to marry her. Will you let me marry her? <laughs> I'm not teasing you. I was shaking worse than I am tonight. <laughs> he said, yeah. Yeah, you can marry her. But I'll tell you one thing. If you ever hurt her, I'll kill you. I believed him. <laughs> now whether or not he would or not, it didn't make no difference. I believed him. <laughs> and I'm glad I had that respect for him. I'm glad. I'm glad that I was able, whenever we got married, to be able to take his daughter and never to this day, almost 50 years, ever raise my hand to her ever treat her like she's a doormat. Right. Why? I, don't, I didn't even believe the message then. Didn't even understand it. But there were some scars I had too. There were some scars that I received as a young boy. And I said, if I ever get married, my wife will be treated like a queen. Like someone that deserves love. Not because I knew the truth, but because of things I had seen, things I personally went through, and the way I would seen women treated. And it just did something inside of me. So can these things mold us and affect us? It can. So for a boy that would be serious, first of all, young men, I guess I don't realize we're going to wind up dating all the same time. <laughs> you should, if you're interested in a girl, ask her father. Ask her father. Approach it that way. And if he says no, no, no. And you say, yes, sir. All right. Okay. But I'm not giving up. I'll do what you say. I'll back off. But I believe we're supposed to be together. But I will respect your word. But you see, if you sneak behind his back and you text her and you WhatsApp her and you TikTok her and you all this other stuff that you do. <laughs> Instagram and then he finds out about it you know what that's going to do it's going to make him so mad at you he's going to be looking at you like this or maybe like that <laughs> so build your relationship on respect and God will be able to honor before you would ever take her by the hand you need to ask her father you need to discuss it with her if your father's her father says yes I, I think that's okay but just be warned that don't let it go any farther. Then you all need to discuss it. Okay, let, let's make this promise to each other. If we hold hands, we make this promise to each other. We will not trespass this. And if I do, you help me. And if you do, I'll help you. Then you'll have each other as a way to protect each other. That's good. That's good. That answer? Anybody else got anything to do? I didn't make clear. That's good. All right. Should, yes. 
I have heard kids in the message that the boy is so nervous that he'll approach the father first before even talking to the girl. Well, as far as... Um, so they, they worry about that. Right, sure. I yeah. respect where the balance is for that. Absolutely. And, and I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, just showing a, a concern, you know, uh, for the father, that the father looks at it in the right way. A lot of it, as far as Scripture, there's not any Scripture that sets it forth, but a lot of it is going to be the mindset of the father, how he was raised, uh, if he had a, a bad background, if he was maybe pretty sinful himself, promiscuous in his life before he got saved, he might be super, super strict. And he might really want that. For some fathers, I know, because I've counseled with them before. Uh, they, they want a boy before they even get very serious at all. I mean, I'm just looking at it. I have your permission to look at your daughter. <laughs> but whenever you're expressing something of something more than just friends, I hope all of y'all are friends tonight, right? Everybody's all friends. But whenever you want something more than friends, it, it would be just courteous, just courteous, just to go to him. But if it's just a friend and that's all your intention is, I don't think that's required. Thank but, you. Okay? Everybody in the with that? All right. Should a Christian give a tattoo? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Now, Jarka, which is one of the Jewish historians, says it was the custom of the Amorites when anyone died to cut their flesh. Now, this is quite a common practice, seems very strange to us. But it was a very common practice in the ancient times that they would, Herodotus, which was a Roman historian as well, that even those of a royal family, when a king would die, they'd cut off part of their ear. Not the king's ear, but your ear. <laughs> so you're the one living, so you actually humiliated yourself when the king would die. Isn't that strange? So they would cut off part of their ear. They would shave off part of their hair. They would cut their arms and wound their forehead and nose and transfix the left hand with arrows. So they would actually take an arrow and jab into their hand. Now this is in a very strange heathen practice. And God, of course, did not want His people to do such a thing. Aben Ezra, which is also a Jewish historian, which lived after Jarkon, observes these prints or marks were made with ink or black marks. Ink or black cuts, which is exactly what a tattoo is. But this was usually done as an idolatrous practice. So also says Ben Gershon. This was the custom of the Gentiles in ancient times to imprint upon themselves the mark of an idol to show that they were his servants. Wow. So tattooing then actually goes back. Now I've been in New Zealand and 
some of the native people there. Of course, it's very, very big. Any all familiar with the native people of New Zealand and that part of the world? Some, some, most of you not. Okay. Well, they they are they are still so so uh, buried in this tattoos uh, that it's it's absolutely unbelievable. And some of them have actually come to the message, and now they're still marked with those tattoos because it's very very expensive to have laser treatments to be able to take it off. And for some of them, it's such a shame and a humiliation to them because they're bearing that identity of that old life. Now, I guess the question would come back to, you know, does the New Testament mention tattoo? It does not. Does Brother Branham mention tattoo? He did not. Neither did he mention marijuana or vodka or whiskey. But we don't drink any of those, do we? So, what does it fit under the category of? It would fit under the category of worldliness. So what all is in worldliness? Well, it could be everything from dress to a hairstyle. It could be a way of talking. It could be so many, many things. And in my lifetime, and I know you all think, well, you've lived a long time. Well, I have lived a long time. But I've seen tattoos just in the last, say, about 10 or 12 years explode. Right. on the population right. around the world. And it's not just young people. It's old people. And one thing that I've noticed with, depending on where people get the tattoo on their body, that if it's men and they get the tattoos on their legs, then if they get one down here, that pretty much requires that they wear short pants to be able to show their tattoo. You wouldn't make much sense to get a tattoo below your leg and wear long breeches the way I wear them, would it? Why? Because the tattoo is something you want everybody else to see. Now, I, I've not been around probably near as much as you all have, but I've never seen anybody with a tattoo going around holding a mirror like this so they can see their tattoos everywhere all over. So they're not just for themselves, they're for other people to see. But Brother Donnie, some people do a Christian tattoo. How is that even impossible? <laughs> oh, but I've seen the words Jesus. Yeah, I have to. I've seen crosses. I've seen all of that. But I'll tell you, friend, the way that we bear the image of Christ is not with blue, black, or red ink. But it's by a life that is changed and transformed by the power of God. For many people, I honestly believe that the identification of a tattoo is to make them more accepted in the eyes of the world and help take away part of their reproach. And therefore, they will make that tattoo where it's visible, you know, wherever it is, so they will be able to show that and people will look at it as an insignia of the world. And yet, as I said, it goes right back. Tattooing was practiced in various pagan nations from the earliest times as well as markings with paint and cutting the flesh any disfiguration of the body was an outrage to God and an insult to Him who designed the body. Now what's amazing is if a child would be born with a birthmark. Now a certain pigmentation which would go upon the skin. I know of a child that was born, one of my family members, and the mother that was carrying this child they were very poor people, and they lived in a very, very poor house. And she was sitting on a chair one day, and a rat come out from the wall, and a hole in the wall, and run across this woman's feet, 
and scared her teetotally to death. And there is a rat on the back of the child she was carrying. Looks just like one. Now, I've seen it many times myself. So there it is. And yet, that was not something to brag about. It was something to be ashamed of. And y'all ever seen people whose face was, you've seen people, there's a guy that works at Kroger on Rome Street. Poor guy, I feel so sorry for him every time I see him. His, half of his face has got this dark red pigmentation. You know, everybody that comes through there looks at the poor guy every day of his life. And yet, that is not something he's proud of. That's certainly not something that he went to a tattoo parlor and say, mess up my face, man. Come on, make me cool. I want, I want to be real. I want to be, you know, it, it, it's just not. And yet, people go and pay to have that done. And I've never been tattooed, thank the Lord. But from what I hear, it actually hurts. Right. I mean, they pay to be hurt. And yet, they cry like babies when the Lord asks them to do something. Oh, it's so hard being a Christian. It ain't here towards being tattooed. I mean, you lay down and they stick these needles in you and they do all that sort of thing. Oh, my. You see, the Christian, it's not our place in life and in our walk with God to draw attention to ourselves. Now, I ask you, whenever you see a tattoo on a person, does it make your eyes draw to that tattoo? Anybody be honest? Besides me, okay, you, 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 you. Oh, wow. So it makes your eyes go to that. And if it's got letters, do you normally read the letters? Yeah. The words? Really? Okay. So it, it would be similar then to you're driving down the road and you see a billboard. Okay? And it says there's this gigantic McDonald's hamburger on there. And that thing looks so delicious. The tomatoes are so red. The mayonnaise is running over the top. The lettuce is perfectly green. The bun is a sesame seed toast. And you weren't even hungry until you saw that. And there's this gigantic whopper and then extra large fries and a Diet Coke. <laughs> 3,000 calories and a Diet Coke. I've always said, if you could ever get a hamburger that looked like that, wouldn't it be awesome? And you go through that and they give you that one. They throw the mayonnaise on. They throw the tomato on. And you think, this looks like it come out of garbage disposal. But if they actually put the picture of the one up there you was going to get, we probably wouldn't stop us off to move it. So they want to make it so tantalizing and look so good. Do you understand what happens? Your eyes catch that. The power of suggestion. So it suggests, it releases enzymes and your stomach, you can start feeling that, oh my goodness, chocolate, peppermint, mocha, oh, Dunkin' Donuts, oh, if I had just some of the munchkins and chocolate covered, oh. You mean it don't affect you all that way? I'm the only one. So you see, it is a form of advertisement. So people have these advertisements on their bodies. What for? Well, for many other people, they want to look like them. They want to be like them. And they have an identity. I saw a young lady some time ago, and I know this young lady well. I 
and I know that she's a lesbian. And yet she wants to maintain a testimony of being a Christian. And her tattoo on her arm was, God is the only one that will judge me. That tattoo was to send a message to anybody that would question who she says she is. So what is it? It's a brazen, bold message. To me too, since I'm part of her family. And she sure flashed it in front of me. She wanted me to see it. Well, it wasn't the appropriate place and the appropriate time, but I'd like to preach to a sermon that I preached years ago. Christmas and Solomon. Yes, sir. It don't matter who's if it's my family or your family. But you see, I saw this display and I watched her as she pulled up her sleeve. Carol saw the same thing. And she would sit in a certain way because I was there around her for several days at the passing of a family member of mine. And she made sure that I saw it over and over again. So it conveys a message. It conveys something. So a Christian is not to call attention to themselves or to promote themselves. You know, you think about the testimony of a person that would get a tattoo after, after being a Christian, knowing that it was a form of idolatry, heathenism. Wow, I don't want to do that myself. But yet, looking at the motive and the desire behind getting one. Can you get one without a question in your mind? I honestly don't see how you could. Could a Christian get one and say, well, I believe it makes me more like Jesus. Well, I'd sure like to know how. Now, my Jesus got marks in his hands, but it wasn't from a tattoo bar. It was for dying for my sins and yours. He got marks in his back, right? Marks in his forehead, but it was to pay our penalty. Not so that people would look at him and it was some type of advertisement or something. No. So look at the practical consequences of getting a tattoo. Would a particular tattoo cause you problems? Well, I know for sure that even some businesses will not allow you to work in public if you have tattoos in certain places. Some of y'all shaking your head, you know that's right. They will not allow it. So you see, it ain't just a religious thing altogether. It's not just a Christian thing altogether. But there's a stigma. Now, years and years ago in America, pretty much the people who got the major, you know, majority of tattoos was motorcycle guys. So, I mean, they'd get on their hogs. Man, they had this yellow jacket or leather jacket. And it was going up and, hey, man, how you doing? Get your joint out. It was an identity. It was an identity. Right? Right, right. But you know what scary is? Now that identity walks into church. And people get them after they become saved. Now, you know, I know of many that had tattoos and they were in the world and they hate them. I know a preacher friend of mine that was in Europe and he was in the military, went in as a young boy in World War II, and he got several. They, they were so embarrassing to him, he finally got them removed. Left great scars all over his body of the places where he had them. But every time he looked at them, there was such a humiliation. Now, why would that be? 
dendrites in his brain. It was bringing back what? Memories of that old life. There was a doctor that attended a few of our services at, uh, at the old church several years ago. One night he was there in the service. I won't mention his name. After the service, the couple of the Deacon brothers come to me after the service. And they said, Brother Donnie, we've got this in the offering. And we don't know what to do with it. So it was a very, very expensive watch. Well, I knew this doctor. I knew him personally. So I contacted him the next week and I said, Hey, the deacons told me that you put this in the offering. And I, I just wanted to make sure, was, did it fall off your arm? Was, no, he said, no, no, no. He said, I, I, I wanted, I wanted to, to do that. And I said, well, what, what do you want us to do with it? And he said, well, he said, it, it reminds me of the way I used to be. It reminds me of things I don't like to remember about myself. So you all sell it. You keep it if you want to. You wear it. Do whatever. But he said, I just don't want it anymore. So here was something as easy as a watch. And yet, that was something easy to get rid of. So you think about a tattoo then, or something like that. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that we are the temple of God. Would any of you all, once we get in our new facility, would any of you all want to take a spray can or crayons or markers and go inside the sanctuary and start spraying graffiti on the walls? Anybody? What about just a cross? Just spray crosses on the walls. Or say religious words. Jesus loves you. God is good. God is love. Praise ye the Lord. Would anybody want to do that? No. You'd feel awful, wouldn't you? Well, what if we went over there, you know, when we go in on, on Sunday morning, and somebody broke in our new church after all that work, after all that labor, and somebody has sprayed graffiti all over the walls, and we'd say, that's terrible. Let's call the police. That's, that's absolutely awful. Who would do such a thing to the house of God? What if we wouldn't want to put spray paint on sheetrock, which could be easily painted. Why would we want to put ink on this house of God? Ain't God good? Amen. That answer that one? If you haven't gone through a great trial, does that mean you don't have the Holy Ghost? No, brother, sister, it sure doesn't. You know, depending upon our, our call and our walk with God, our trials are not something that we choose. Our trials are not even something that we can lessen or make greater in reality. But God gives us and allows us to have certain trials in our life, depending on what we're called to do. And we also go through cycles. I heard this years and years and years ago in the Visible Union. Brother Bram explained it so well. You notice when the people begin to try to get in line with the Word, there comes a message from the Word of God right straight to the people. They catch that message and line up. He said, we have that. We have families and every family is accustomed to that. Sometimes everything will run fine for you for years. 
then all at once you hit a spell or we say it many times in this house when it rains it pours and everything goes wrong you're going through a night time then there's a daybreak and then a night time everything runs in continuity now does it mean that because some of you maybe have not faced a life-threatening disease or uh, you've not faced some great terrible terrible thing and you're just going along you have your trials and your tests and your walk with God and you're convinced somehow because you haven't had some great trauma that's come your way that you're not a child of God or you don't have the Holy Ghost no don't, don't believe that at all you believe that you have the Holy Ghost because your life is changed don't worry them great times will come soon enough. <laughs> Amen. Woo! Enjoy the good spots when you can. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that to make light of it either, because there are cycles like that. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that that early church when they started out, that they went through various times. And whenever you look in the book of Revelation, how that God, by John, told them that they would suffer tribulation for ten days. Well, that's not just... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, as we would count it. But it was 10 different increments of time that they would go through times. Now, they suffered under Nero, and then they would get a, a Roman emperor that would allow them some reprieve. And the Bible actually says in the book of Acts that the churches had rest. So they beheaded James, they locked up Peter, they went through a very tough time. And then God, by His grace, allowed them to go through a time or the persecution, the deaths, and all that, it kind of let go for a while. And then here come Nero. And oh my goodness, he will come out with a rampage of vengeance like they had never experienced before. And then here come Caligula. And here come another. Then what happened when Constantine, in the year 325, 324, something like that, that he declared Christianity as the religion of the Roman Empire. Then everything totally changed. What was God doing? Letting them go through a cycle. You know why He does that? Because He knows if we have the horrible, terrible, great trials every day of our life, I don't care who you are, it would absolutely wear us out. Amen. I'm glad for the right. Oh my. I, I appreciate the valleys. I do. God knows I do. But how I love them out. I know it don't seem like any more than mountains last very long at all. They're just like that. And if you close your eyes, they pass right before you. But yet, every one of us will only be tested. This is one thing I love about the Lord. He will never allow us to be tested or tempted above what we're able to sustain. So for us to compare ourselves, our walk, our test, this, that, to someone else, that's not really even fair to you. And it's not fair to the other person. My goodness, I, some of my brothers, my preacher friends, and they've been through such things, I think, oh my goodness, how in the world do they do it? I look at Brother Ron Spencer, and I see the things that that brother has been through. My, my. So you all have heard him preach, and you stream him sometimes, maybe in sitting in the youth camps and whatever more, and you see him out there anointed by the Spirit of God. I've sat by that man on the platform. Him show me his sugar reading because he has a thing here on his arm that he can digitally read it out. 600. Have to get up and go off the platform. Take him and do an EKG on him. 
in the back room. Or give him sugar. Or give him insulin. Give him something. He'll come to the pulpit sometimes with water. Other times they'll give him a Coke. Because his sugar goes this and this and that and that. You see him under the anointing. Oh, that's a great time. But I see him before and after as his friend. Would I want that? I don't want it. People say, oh, I'd love to be able to do what he does. Ah, there's a price that comes with that. That's right, man. Amen. Amen. Don't be jealous of people when you see God use them in such a way. Oh my goodness, if I could preach like that. Oh, they sing so beautifully. Oh my, if I could sing like that. Are you sure you want that? There's always a price that comes with serving God. So we find where God has called us. We walk in those spots. Your mountains may not seem near as high, but your valleys may not seem near as deep and near as long either. So the thing we do is find what God wants us to be and just be happy. Everybody said, Amen. God bless you. How do you know if God is really speaking to you? I'm sure that every one of us have heard voices. Anybody here hear voices besides me? <laughs> Go ahead, you can be honest. We'll sign you up for a check after church if you want. <laughs> now, we know. That once we become born again, God wants to lead us by His Spirit. But Satan also wants to speak to us. And He will. Let me just share this with you as your pastor. I have studied and I would get what I thought was inspiration. And I would look at a certain quote or a certain scripture. And I would think, oh my goodness. I've never seen that before. Wow. That is incredible. But I keep on looking. And I keep on studying. And the more I look, the more I realize that is not running in continuity with the rest of it. I'm going to tell you something. It scares me to death when that happens to me. Because I realize Satan was trying to give me something that did not run in continuity. But Don, have you ever missed him? That ain't the question. The question is how many times have I missed him? Many, many times. Y'all ever felt led to do something? And it turned out it wasn't the right thing at all. And you see, this is one way that we will always know. The Spirit of God will never lead us to do anything contrary to His Word. No matter how you feel led to do something, now believe me, you don't have enough time for me to tell you all the things that I've heard people tell me that they felt led to do. <laughs> yeah. Keep in mind, God will never lead you or me. A preacher is not exempt from this now. God will never lead any preacher to do anything contrary to His Word. Now studying on this about the will of God, I found this quote I thought was so tremendous. Brother Ben said, the main thing is if we can find where God's Word belongs in our life, where God's Word belongs in our life, God sets times and time limits. Then it has to work according to that time. And people try to do it within themselves. And they try to make God's Word fit in their program. But you've got it vice versa. You've got to fit in God's program. Moses, when he was here, knowing that God had made a promise... He was going to deliver the children of Israel. 
While Moses, knowing that he was called for that purpose, he has a call from God. But that doesn't altogether mean that you just jump right out and you're doing the will of God. Oh my goodness. So a person can be called to do something and miss the timeline and they're just as much out of the will of God if they didn't even do it at all. You know why the children of Israel? God told Abraham they would go down into the land of Egypt and they'd be there for 400 years. You know how long they were there? Anybody? 430. You didn't know that. Yeah. Why? Because the man that was sent to deliver them missed the time frame and affected the whole generation of people. Wow. What we do can affect others. Yeah, See, imagine they got 30 extra years. Now, because he missed the time frame, they missed accepting him. So he comes out of the wrong time frame, totally missed the time of God. And when he does, he goes to the people and says, we don't want you. <laughs> we don't want you. So then they turned him down. And now they say those extra years in the land of promise. Is that what God wanted? No. Now listen to what Brother Ben said. You have to find the will of God and the time of God. Moses thought, well, the children of Israel will understand. I'm to be their deliverer. Was he? Yes. Was he to be? Y'all agree with me? Yes. He was to be their deliverer. Well, what was the problem? The time frame. Right. The time frame. Right. So he starts out to do something, and he killed a man. Now, God never led Moses to kill that man. God never led Moses to kill that Egyptian. What was it? A prophet genuinely called of God with a call of God on his heart, yet he missed the will of God by missing the time frame. Now notice he says, he starts to do something and he killed a man and he found out the children of Israel didn't understand. God has times and seasons for his word. And the presence of the Lord is here to heal the sick. That's what Jesus said for us to do. And the presence of the Lord, and he's talking about at the pool of Bethesda, the presence of the Lord would move on the water and the angel of the Lord. And then there would be times people would go down, they'd get absolutely nothing. They missed the time. Now when Moses, he failed to find what was the time limit of God. And many times we try to do God's program ourselves. And we fail to get what was in the burning bush, the direct revelation of the will and time of God. What good would it do you to plant some corn out here today? How many likes corn? Green beans, squash, tomatoes, pumpkins, cucumbers. Well, what if you go out tomorrow and you tell Mama, Mama, I'm going to plant a crop of corn. She said, honey, you're wasting your time. It won't do a bit of good. It's going to... No, Mama, I want corn so bad. Well, go ahead, knock a knucklehead. Go ahead. You're hard-headed. You won't, you won't listen to me. Go ahead. But you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money. Why? It's not the right time. The earth is tilted on its axis even though the evening sun and the morning sun will nearly blind you. How many of y'all have to drive on that in the morning and the evening? You already know that the, the sun averages 93 million miles away from the earth. The winter solstice, which will be kicking in now before long, it's actually closer mileage-wise, but because it's tilted on its axis, it's farther away. But it hits you right in the face. Why? 
Why go and plant the seed? Well, it's just so bright. It won't grow. It's the same way with the will of God in our lives. Notice this. Many times we try to the program of God ourselves. We fail to get what was in the burning bush, the direct revelation of the will of God. If we will seek God, God will make His way known. So how will you know? How will you know? Any of you. The Spirit of God will never tell you anything contrary to His Word. We say, Brother Donnie, I can't find the Scripture. Well, that's right. Sometimes we can't. But God's give you another one. And the prophet said when he sought the will of God, he would pray anew to with his mind not made up. And he felt like that if he started to make the wrong decision, God would stop him. But God's also give you another way. And this is it right here. Revelation chapter 4. If you ever feel to do something, or some revelation comes to you strangely, or some warning or something, be careful. Satan is a sly as he can be. Put it with the Word of God and consult your pastor. Wow. So God has given you not only one, but another and another way to be able to say, you know what, I just don't know. I don't know what to do. I've been praying. I've been praying. Well, God's give you a way. Pray in neutral. And then if you still can't get nothing, this is what the prophet said. Consult your pastor. Now what I find amazing is how many people will make such decisions in their life and never even carry these out. And then they get in the office mess that ever wasn't there. I can't understand why I got there. I can't. We didn't follow God's program. And what's amazing to me is preachers, preachers that actually sit under a pastor and they won't do this either. I don't understand it myself. I cannot sit under any preacher that cannot be led. Any leader that cannot be led ain't going to be my leader. I tell you that right now. Because any leader can really be led. I mentioned about Brother Darrell, and we'll close with this. Let me mention to you about Brother David Siler. Brother David Siler was with us for years and years. The church down in Middle Tennessee started wanting Brother David to come down. You know what Brother David did? Brother David had preached for years and years. He had been a pastor before. Had evangelized for years. Brother David come and talk to me. Brother Donnie, what do you think I should do? I thought, oh my goodness. What am I doing? So I sat down and talked to Brother David. Brother David, do this, do this. Pray about it. Put it before the Lord. You know why? Because Brother David is a real leader. So we want to be real Christians. You young men want to be real men? You want to be real husbands someday? You want to be real fathers that can be able to lead your home? God may be training you now to be able to be the right kind of leaders in your home. So I get, oh, I don't need to ask daddy. I don't need to ask nobody else. I'm, I'm a man. But God's given us a way. And then if we overstep that way, and then we get in trouble, you know who we have to blame? The devil made me do it. Even the poor old devil ain't to blame for everything. Sometimes it's us. We just don't follow God's way. I want to. Let's bow heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we can be together tonight, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that I've been able to say something that maybe one person would ask a question and it might be a help to 
two or three more. I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to look at these things as the people of God. Truly, we desire your will in our lives. We know your will is not always easy. It's not always pleasant. But yet in reality, each one of us that are born again, we want your will more than anything else in this world. Help us, Father, to always remain teachable. Help us, Father, that we can find your will. Oh, how many times have I missed you, Lord? It always makes me feel so bad when I do. But I've learned if I'll wait and be patient. Lord, sometimes I'll ask my, my preacher friends, because no man is an island. Any man that pulls himself off to be an island is setting himself up for a great fall. I thank you for preacher friends I have around the world that if I'm dealing with something and I need help or prayer or guidance, I'm so thankful I've got some close buddies and close friends that I can text or email or call them and say, hey, have you ever dealt with this? Have you ever been through this or that or the other? Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us. Maybe there's a young man, a young woman here tonight. Help them, Lord, not to let Satan pull them off by themselves. That's exactly what he wants to do. But Lord Jesus, may we realize we need one another. We need one another's friendship, one another's prayers, one another's lives to affect our lives. Keep us in your grace, Father, we ask. In the name of the Lord Jesus.
Bless you all. 